Well, it is wedding season. I'm actually going to do uh, Lauren and Teddy's wedding this coming weekend. Congratulations, Lauren and Teddy. So I guess I got, I got weddings on the brain. Marriage has been on my mind. I've been seeing a lot of posts on social media lately, too, about young folks getting married. The coronavirus hasn't slowed them down. Weddings are a little bit different than usual. They distance in the ceremonies and they have to wear masks and things, but there's still a lot of traditional elements there, like the flowers and the dresses, the rings, and of course, the vows. I pledge myself to you. I will do this. I won't do this. It's an important part of the public commitment that marriage is. When I think about my own marriage, I have to admit, I have not held up my vows 100% of the time. Hopefully most of the time, yes, but there are a couple different ways that I have fallen short. One way is because of ignorance. That's when you didn't know you were supposed to do something until you found out because you did it wrong. For instance, when I got married, I didn't know that being married would meant that I would have to change things like where and how I hang my towel after I take a shower. And I didn't know that it meant that I would have to come up with a detailed strategy for loading the dishwasher. But those things weren't spelled out for me when we got married, but you get a few weeks in and you realize, oh, uh, okay, I guess this is part of the deal. So I didn't know then, but I know now. So ignorance. Another way that I fall short in keeping my vows is just simple neglect. I get lazy. I start to take Lisa for granted. I know the things I'm supposed to do, but I don't always do them. I don't always love her and cherish her the way that she deserves and the way that I promised that I would. This can happen in a marriage, but it can also happen for Christians who have committed themselves to following Jesus. There are some things that we neglect or that maybe we didn't know were part of the deal when we signed on. We sometimes forget. And in some cases, we find out later, um, but we learn that God has some expectations for our lives, specific things, things like we're supposed to reflect God's image. God expects us to use our blessings to be a blessing to others. He calls us to love our enemies, to put the needs of others before our own. He calls us to be peacemakers and to seek first his kingdom above every other allegiance that we make. And he also expects us to live and work together in harmony and unity with one another. That's kind of the whole concept of the church. It's a one great big exercise in unity. Can these unlike people work together for God's purposes? And both in marriage and in following Jesus, the hope is that once you realize that you've gone off track, for whatever reason, you can change. You can make some course corrections and you get better at doing it. You become more faithful in the commitment that you've made. I think that that's one of the values of us gathering together as a church, whether in person or online or however we do it. But we all look at the same biblical teachings at the same point in time and we say, hey, let's challenge each other to live more faithfully as followers of Jesus. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus helps people understand what it is that they're signing up for. He says, before you follow me, you need to count the cost before making that big decision because it's a full-time commitment. It's going to impact every area of your life. Our allegiance to God and his kingdom becomes the most important priority in our life. You might remember a few summers back, we did a series about idolatry called No Other Gods. And in that series, we said, an idol is anything in your life that you make more important than God. And oftentimes, we don't realize that we've made 
idols out of things in our lives like money or power or family or political views or even patriotism. And these are good things. We don't think that they're idols. We don't think there's anything wrong with them. But as good things become best things, it's a problem. If the shelf image represents your priorities, then God belongs on the very top. But we often demote God or put other things on the top shelf in his place. And I don't know if it's neglect or ignorance, but a lot of Christians have not lived up to the expectations that God has for us. For whatever reason, we've allowed behaviors and attitudes that are outside of God's will become commonplace in our lives. God's desires for our lives has been demoted and replaced with other things, and these things cause division. And we sometimes give ourselves permission to hate others, to avoid and unfriend people, even our brothers and sisters in the family of God. We've not lived up to the commitment that we made to the Lord. And the question for us is, will we change or will we stay off track? So that's what we're doing this series for. It's called One Kingdom, Indivisible. And it's a reminder of who we are. We are followers of Jesus and citizens of God's kingdom first. This series is a call to greater faithfulness and unity as God's people during a tense and tumultuous time. I also want you to know that it's a collaborative effort between uh, 20 different churches in the Bay Area who've all said this is an important thing that we need to study and speak on and that an emphasis on unity is important in a time in our culture where there's so much potential for division and separation. This is a topic that we need to be reminded of regularly all the time, but especially now. And I may not need to tell you this, but there's some reasons why now is different. Our current circumstances are putting pressure on us. And when I say pressure, I mean it like the way a doctor says you're going to experience just a little bit of pressure here. What she means when she says that is you're going to experience some pain. There's going to be some discomfort right now. You're going to sit there and you're going to feel helpless. I think that's what COVID-19 has done to everyone in one way or another. And I think that we're likely to react the same way that my small children do when the doctor prescribes pressure for them by freaking out. All of us are already on edge. And now here comes this political battle. I mean, it's a presidential election year and there's social unrest and there are new and fluid laws and policies that we don't always understand and we don't always agree with. And then on top of that, you have people's strong opinions, not just about what they are going to do or what they're not going to do, but also about what they think that you should do or not do. And then on top of that, we're making kind of like a craziness Sunday here. On top of that, there's the isolation, our loss of basic social skills and tact. And then there's sensational news stories that cause us to react out of fear and on and on and on. It's, it's enough to make even the strongest Christian lose their cool and get off track in their commitment to Christ. So think of this series as a weekly recalibration, like a steady reminder that even if the world around us is falling apart, that Christ is the solid rock on which we stand. We are going to keep love and unity on the top shelf, for better or for worse, in good times and bad, for richer or for poorer, and forsaking all others, because that's who we are. That's who we committed to be as followers of Jesus. So here's how this the series is going to go. We're going to try to blast through the whole Bible in about eight weeks. 
stripping job, right? Well, of course, we're not going to cover everything, but we're going to use broad strokes and we're going to tell the story of the people of God. We're going to remind ourselves that being God's people means... Uh, we're going to remind ourselves of what being God's people means and what God expects of us and how to live in today's world as ambassadors of that purpose that God has always had for his creation. So for the next couple minutes this morning, let's just take a quick look at two things that God said to his beloved creation in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And we're going to see that God intends people to work together for good purposes, and that we should use our blessings to be a blessing to others. So listen to these words from God and start to think about how they might clash with some of the ideals and philosophies and worldviews that we've grown up with all of our lives. This is Genesis chapter 1, just verses 27 and 28. After God created the world, it says, So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God creates a beautiful world and then he tells men and women to, to take care of it. Go look after it. Work together in relationship with one another to be good stewards of this good world that I made. So we see that the first thing that God asked people to do is work together. Be a good team. The world that I created, it needs that. And you might notice in this passage, the verbs that are used here are increase, rule, and subdue, which might give us the idea that we're in charge and we don't need to answer to anyone. But remember, this responsibility to work together and to have authority over creation for its good and for our good was given to us by who? By God, the creator. He's the one who's in charge. And that's something that we often forget because we want to be in charge and we want to be in control of all things, including our own little world that we live in, all the people in our world that we're supposed to be partners with, and we even want to be in charge of God himself. I've got small children, all girls, and uh, sometimes the girls will run around and they'll pretend like they're in the movie Frozen. And there's times when they will fight over who gets to be Elsa. I want to be Elsa. No, you got to be Elsa last time. I want to be Elsa. You're Anna. Everybody wants to be Elsa, which makes sense. Elsa's the best. She's the queen. She sings that song, Let It Go. And Elsa has magical ice powers. Anna's only power is making bad relationship decisions. Nobody wants to be Anna. Everybody wants to be Elsa. But we sometimes do that with God. We say, who's going to be in charge? I'm going to be in charge. No, I want to be in charge. And God says, hey, hey, guys, listen, I'm going to be in charge. Trust me. I'm, I'm the most qualified. Everyone will be better off when I'm the king. But there's good work that I need you to do. Just don't be confused about who made all of this and who knows what's best. Stick with the plan. Let me be in charge, God says. And that word can be hard for us because we want to be Elsa. And there's so many messages in our culture that are telling us you can be Elsa. You can sit on the throne of your life and make everyone answer to you. But God says, no, let me be God. I want you to work together and I want you to be in charge of this stuff over here. But, but trust me, this is a good plan. I know what I'm doing. 
connected to being good stewards of God's creation is remembering that God blesses us so that we can go and be a blessing to other people. In Genesis 12, we hear God calling a man named Abram to do something a little bit different. This is what it says. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Here God calls Abram to do something that he probably doesn't want to do. Leave your land. Leave your household. Everything that you know and are comfortable with, leave that. And trust me to lead you to a new place. That may be a good word for us lately. We've all been sailing around in uncharted waters this summer. And it takes trust to go where God sends us, especially when it's outside of what we already know and have decided is good. But Abram, he goes, he trusts God. And in verse 2, God says four things that I'm going to do for you. He says, one, you're going to be a great nation. Abram says, sweet, that's awesome. I, I like this plan. God says, two, I'm going to bless you. Okay, Lord, I'm not going to stand in your way. You can bless me if you want. I'll take it. Three, I'm going to make your name great. All right, Lord, uh, this is a pretty sweet deal. Let's go. Let's go. I'm on board. But wait, 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 wait. There's a fourth thing. There's a fourth thing you need to know. On top of all of that, you will be a blessing. And he says the same thing again at the end of verse 3. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Okay, so it seems like all of these blessings that Abram's going to get, descendants and land and becoming this great nation, the fame, notoriety, like blessing on blessing on blessing, it seems like it has a purpose. God expected Abram to use his blessings to be a blessing to others. This is connected to that first command to be a good steward of God's creation. Not just to hoard all of the best parts of creation, keep them to yourself, but to realize that your blessings exist to bless others. Now, this is a good place to stop and ask yourself, how well do you live up to that expectation? Have you blessed others with how you've responded to new circumstances like the ones that we're living in now? Do you work well with others? Do you work together with others to be a blessing to the world like God expects us to be? Or do you have to be Elsa? Do you say, in the words of Elsa, I don't care what they're going to say. Here I stand and here I'll stay. Let the storm rage on. That's Elsa's attitude. So yes, there are some things that we've neglected or we've been ignorant about in our commitment to following Christ. But the good news is that Jesus is about resurrection, about new life, about change and redemption. And these are the kinds of things that we're going to challenge ourselves to return to in this series. We want to rediscover God's purposes for us, and we want to live them out. We want to be willing to identify and admit ways that we've gotten off track and ways that we've allowed political rhetoric and social issues, allegiances to things other than God to divide us from those that we're supposed to work alongside for kingdom purposes. I need to say up front, I'll say this now, some of the things that we're going to talk about might touch a nerve for you. You may not like them. They may make you bristle 
a little bit. I want you to know, I really hope that you know I'm not just trying to stir the pot or create more tension in an already stressed out culture. But I just want you to know, you might feel a little pressure in this series. My hope is that it will reveal blind spots and it will convict the people of God of areas in which we need to do better. Ultimately, I want the church to be stronger and more united and a more powerful witness of what happens when the church of Jesus allows the God of creation to transform us by the power of his Holy Spirit. One thing that we're going to do throughout this series as well is uh, have times of confession. Where I'm going to lead us in some traditional confession prayers. And uh, this is an important thing that's often neglected as well. Scripture gives us language for confession. We need to be honest about where we're at, what we're trying to do, but that we don't always live up to the, the vows that we've made to God. And so this morning, uh, right now, I want to invite you to pray this prayer along with me. I'll put the words on the screen and I'll read it, hopefully at a pace that we can all uh, follow along with. But I want you, I want you to, to actually pray this. I want you to pray this prayer out loud with me. A prayer of confession, but that ultimately ends with trust in God. It's not to point out that we are flawed and we are broken and we are terrible, but it's this reminder that, no, God created us and he said that we're good and he wants his good purposes to be enacted in us. God loves us. So when we confess and we say, man, we haven't lived up to it, we, we hear God saying, I still love you and I'm going to continue to forgive you. I'm going to continue to make a way for you. And we praise God that we have that forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Once again, Lord Jesus Christ, I face the power of pride. Against the torrent of oblivion, I plead the blood of Jesus. When I am tempted to turn your good gifts into my own achievements, teach me to pray, my help comes from the Lord. When I imagine my discernment is superior to your clear commandments, give me faith to trust your word, which cannot fail. When the opinions of my sisters and brothers seem simple-minded, help me to recall how you spoke to Balaam through his donkey, and if you should choose to speak through me, help me remember the same. Deliver me from pride, that I might submit my twisted will to yours and grow up into the fullness of the divine image that you stamped on bodies made from clay. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I'll be praying for you guys. I'm excited about this series. I'm excited for what it can do for our lives, for our church, and for the world that we are called to bless.